ELT's team of IT procurement pros, technology domain experts, and partners help federal agencies quickly and easily procure IT solutions before federal fiscal year-end budgets expire on September 30. Visit dlt.com slash our team today to learn more. Welcome to GovIT, a monthly podcast series from DLT, where we discuss the next generation of public sector information technology solutions with the technology innovators driving the change. I'm your host, Tom Temin. Each month, we explore a different technology, what it is, and how it can help public sector organizations achieve their modernization goals and accomplish their missions. This episode, we're sitting down with Chris Roberts, the Federal Technology Director at Quest Public Sector, to discuss zero trust and how federal agencies can use the architecture to prevent future breaches and how to implement zero trust across an entire network. Chris, good to have you with us today. And let's talk at the beginning of the zero trust question with exactly what zero trust is. It's a word people use a lot, but I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure everyone defines it all that clearly. No. So zero trust is a security model based on ancient principles of least privilege. If you want to think of it, imagine your home and you have multiple doors. Do you trust everyone that comes into your home to go in every room in your house? Not at all. Certain people have a key to your front door. Some may access the garage via code. Some may have the key to your safe or combination to a safe. And everyone has a different level of access in your home. So whether it's the maid, whether it's the long guy, the plumber, for instance, you can determine who accesses what part of your home. Least privilege or security models based on zero trust, for instance, assume the same type of model. That is, when I set up my network, I decide who in my organization is going to have access to certain types of data, certain types of systems from certain locations. In other words, I totally control the level of access to my network and the resources I host on that network. All right. So let's talk about federal agencies then that are trying to implement zero trust. When you look across the government, where do you see most of them? How far along are they in having this zero trust setup or architecture? So while they have been calls to employ and deploy more zero trust architectures, and NIST is a defined agnosium, there are lots of great papers on from NIST, the National Institute of Standards Technology, on how to do this and what the architecture should look like. Multiple vendors have different types of solutions, but the architecture is pretty much the same. Each agency across the spectrum of the government, even in the private sector, have had some form of zero trust or least privilege installed or incorporated into their operating environments over the years. Um, That's just common sense. So for instance, think of your access where you are right now. When you log into your network, for instance, you have a certain set of attributes that'll let you use a printer nearby or a certain projector in in a room, for instance, or even certain, even access in the internet is a privilege in some companies. So companies that organizations have been doing this, the question now is how do we prevent the type of rampant breaches we've had in the past using zero trust. So for instance, if someone gained access to our network, the zero trust architecture across these agencies would stop lateral movement of these actors across our networks. So while we have some of these things deployed, they aren't 100% deployed. And I believe the current executive order from the administration calls on all agencies to deploy a full zero trust model across all of their network and assets. And just a detail question, a lot of agencies still use Active Directory. That's still a basic tool for controlling who and what is on your network and where they can go. Is this an important element in setting up zero trust? It absolutely is. So in the concept of zero trust or in basic identity services, for instance, there has to be 
what we call a source of truth or a single record um, holder. And typically that's Active Directory because it contains all the who information within your organization. I break down Zero Trust into the typical questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how. So AD answers the question of who, and then you have to look at exactly, if you're Tom, I'm Chris, then you're a radio personality, I'm an engineer, our access to resources are going to be different based on our roles. So then we break down what we call role-based access, for instance. So you have access to audio engineering equipment. I have access to routers and switches, for instance, and databases. So that is the important part of it. A lot of that is honed and sourced from Active Directory because AD tells us who somebody is, where they sit, for instance, and typically what their level or role is within the organization. And it helps establish zero trust. And just to put a fine point on it, that's true whether your Active Directory is in the cloud or on an on-premises instance, correct? That is very important delineation because the where is another part of zero trust. So for instance, if I'm coming across the internet, I typically will not hit a on-prem AD server. I will hit an Azure AD server, for instance, and I'll use something in the cloud per se, for instance, to authenticate my access. And then from there, I can gain access to more resources in the cloud or even on-prem. So yeah, there are delineations as to on-prem or cloud. And you said a lot of agencies are on the way there. Very few are actually 100% in their implementation of zero trust. What are the obstacles they face? (laughs) The obstacles are, are your typical ones. One, it's heavily dependent on people. That is, It requires retraining. So for instance, if you're an administrator on a network, let's start with the person that has the God mode status, so to speak, that it can do anything on a network. The first step in zero trust is to take away that type of privilege. That is, I no longer have God mode or we call a domain admin. A domain admin or super user, for instance, has access to everything across the network, regardless of the type of device or where it's located. So the first thing is reconditioning and retraining those who are administering networks and actually assigning authority. The second point is also from a budgetary standpoint, how we fund these systems. Typically, it requires new software, new services, new systems. So that's, that's contracts, that's procurement. So the typical things that slow down a government operation or government program are the same things that will affect zero trust. Now, the executive order, for instance, accelerates that because it puts a new urgency on that on, on agency chiefs, as well as those that are sitting in a cabinet level, to basically now incent their organizations to get it done. So those CISOs are in an increasing pressure to get it done. The question is, will the funding will be there to match what they're being asked to do? So there is administrative and cost associated with getting zero trust accomplished? Absolutely. There are no free cookies on this one. And I imagine there are some cultural issues. You mentioned briefly what those might be, but could one of them also be that people that might be used to having wide privilege across a network, it could be determined that given the cybersecurity environment we have today, maybe it's not such a good idea for even high-level people to have access to everything. That is absolutely not a good idea to give that level of access to him. All right, let's let's take the um, the elephant in the room and just address him, which was the SolarGate and SolarWinds attack, for instance. They used a supply chain attack to get to a piece of software that typically had wide access to a network, literally lived on a network, monitored the network, and managed the network. If we are challenging every request for access on the network because of zero trust, so for instance, if you walk away from the office and come back, your laptop's locked. You have to re-log in, for instance. If I log in remotely on my mobile phone, I may be given a 2FA process to get back onto the network, for instance. So first, address the the system-wide access of a domain admin or super user, and then address the persistent connections we always expect. That is, when I walk away from my laptop, it should lock. When I stop using an application, it should lock me out. 
God forbid your banking application keep your browser open on your finances while you go to the office all day long. And then the same person that got access to your house to fix the plumbing then basically pays himself a couple of times over because they still have access. So that's why it's not a good idea. So if you're a smart secretary of a department, you probably don't want the God privileges. And if you're a good CIO, don't give those types of privileges to the executive suite. They've got no business having them anyway. Absolutely. I, I think when, when we all watch you know, spy thrillers, whether it's Bond or Bourne, there's always that conversation. Somebody says, well, it's on a need to know basis and you don't need to know. It's the same thing with network security. There's some things you don't need to know and you don't need access to. I think it is it is the hubris of individuals when they are used to certain ways of doing business or, or performing in, in a certain role that they should always have this access. And now it's a challenge to now, like I said, retrain, reorient it, and just say, look, this is the level of authentication you're going to have. This is the level of access you're going to have, for instance. Well, and by the way, it's not going to be persistent. You're going to have to constantly prove who you are every time you want to use this particular resource, especially if it's sensitive. And the recent executive order, it's not so recent now, it's been quite a few months since the Biden administration put out its executive order on cybersecurity. It did delineate in detail the use and the requirement for agencies to have zero trust. Have you seen effect yet from that executive order? And do you think it's helping push along this whole idea? Absolutely. Matter of fact, the mere fact that we're actually having this conversation is a byproduct of that. Our customers and our clients are asking for this. They're looking for solutions on this. The solicitations, if you look across the board, whether it's not just Quest, but even our competitors, large vendors like Microsoft, for instance, and Amazon and others, they're considerably seeing consistent requests for the types of solutions that will address these requirements. And the thing is, it's going to be different from agency to agency. Some have their 80 Active Directory Act together. Some don't. Some have some model for zero trust or at least privileged um, environments already configured. But by and large, what they're looking for now is I need to be sure and I can account for every control that's going to be deployed. And the controls are determined by um, NIST 800-pick-your-favorite-flavor. Can I answer these controls and can I say to my CISO, for instance, and to my agency director that, yes, we have met these requirements, we have fulfilled the request from the executive order, and we are good to go. And that's getting increasingly more difficult to say, but that's where the work is coming in now. All right. What else do people need to know when they're embarking on zero trust? Understand that it's not a, a, a destination. It's a journey. Understand that it's not a product, but an architecture. Sure, Quest and companies like us can help you with specific point solutions, with specific products, for instance, to help you on that journey. But it's a lot of policy. It's a lot of procedure. It's a lot of organizational change and eventually churn. So you have to be open-minded from that perspective and understand that you have to answer the who, that is with Active Directory, um, the what, which resources, the why, that is justifying the role responsibilities and the directives of an individual to access a certain thing, as well as the where, that is, where is the perimeter for your network, for instance, geolocations, that is, if you're in... If you're in Europe today, for instance, and there's a login for you in Europe and a login for you in Maryland, well, one of those is invalid. So those things have to be considered too as well. So I would say zero trust is a journey because as you evolve, you're going to find different ways to protect your networks and different things you have to adapt to. And we all know that the advanced persistent threat actors are going to come at us in different ways. They're going to try to figure ways around this. They've already figured out how to spoof SMS text messaging, which deflates a lot of the 2FA processes that are in place today. So it's an evolving journey. It's it's going to be a constant battle, and you have to stay vigilant. It's not an overnight success. Chris Roberts is Federal Technology Director at Quest Software. Thanks so much for being with us. It has been my pleasure, Tom. For more on how Quest and DLT are helping public sector organizations implement zero trust to defend themselves against bad actors, please visit DLT.com. You've been listening to Governor
of IT from DLT. We'll be back soon with more public sector IT content. I'm Tom Temin.